Do you ever feel like you just don't have enough time in the day? <laughs> don't worry, you are not alone. Sean and I recently sat down to chat through the findings from our newest Data Aware Pulse Survey that looks at how data engineering and really data teams are evolving overall to meet the demands on their time in the latest episode of Data Aware, a podcast about all things data engineering. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the next episode of the Data Aware podcast. I am joined once again with Sean. Hey, Sean, how's it going today? It's going great, Leslie. Good. How are you? Wait, I'm doing really well. What our listeners don't know, but I know, is that Sean is right about to go out on a really amazing vacation. So he's really good. We're going to have an extra awesome podcast today because he's just like ready and raring to get some sun. Isn't that right? Oh my gosh. So excited to like go <laughs> outside back into the, the real world. Back I think it's the still world. there. I heard, I think I saw on the news, the real world's still there. I think it is. I think barely, but it is, it is. Well, we have a super fun topic today and one that is, I guess, near and dear to our hearts here. So we are releasing today the 2021 results of our Data Engineering Evolved survey. This is a survey that the company started last year just to get an idea of the data engineering landscape and folks on data teams and what they're doing, what their workload looks like, how data engineering is evolving and going from there. So we had such great success with it last year and had so many really cool findings with it last year that we decided to do it again. So Sean and I are going to chat through some of the things today, and I think we'll just start it out with the big thing, which is oh so surprising and shocking to, I think, nobody, which is that <laughs> this survey found that 96% of data teams are either at or over capacity, which is, again, probably not surprising to anybody else out there, wouldn't you say, Sean? Uh, definitely for, I think, teams that have been working uh, in data. Uh, and, <laughs> right. you know, the people who, who are relying on them, right? People who yeah. are downstream product teams or uh, executives driving initiatives or, or you name it, right? Um, and I think this is the, uh, you know, it's pretty telling and what we even saw last year too, right? And that these teams are incredibly overwhelmed. Um, I would say, you know, some silver lining that uh, it's down from last year. Last year, I think we're at like 97%, 97.1, if I remember correctly. So down I mean, a percent and a half. By the, you know, by the 22nd century, we will uh, be in a good spot and far fewer <laughs> teams will be at or above capacity. Uh, and I think that's great. Uh, yeah. But it, it, <laughs> baby steps, right? You got to start baby somewhere. Step. That's a good way to put uh, it. But yeah, it, the, for anybody who's, who's been working in data, I mean, God, there's so much potential and it's so exciting. But then as a result, that means there's so much to do. And, yeah. and these teams are, are pretty overwhelmed. Yeah. So just for a little bit of background now that we have kind of that big honking number out of the way, uh, the survey looked at about 400 U.S.-based data professionals split pretty evenly across the board between data engineers, data scientists, data analysts, and then enterprise architects. And so it was kind of interesting to see some of the trends from each of those groups, but 
I think the overall trend of being at or over capacity, which is unsurprising considering what we found last year, and then coupled with, I think the number is looking at it here, 74.1% of these data professionals said that their need for data products is growing faster than their team size, which goes back to what I think you were saying, which is anybody who deals with the data team can feel the strain because the demand is far exceeding supply when it comes to data products and data pipelines, et cetera, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and honestly, like the, the acceleration vector, right? The, oh, yeah. we, we are seeing that not only are the teams already pegged and overwhelmed, but the things that, you know, these are basic laws of physics, the things that need to be produced is growing mm-hmm. faster than the people who are available to produce them. Uh, and if that team, if those individuals are already saturated, the only way out of this is to figure out how do you help them produce more of the things they need to produce faster, more efficiently. Otherwise, gosh, I mean, we might be right back up at that 97% next year and yeah, or more. total step back. And so I think it, it does become you know not too surprising that, that we're not chipping away at this uh, fast enough because demand is growing so fast yeah. uh, for these teams and their, and their products. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. This sort of reminds me, Sean and I were actually chatting with one of our customers earlier today, who the whole kind of conversation of build versus buy came up. And when you have deadlines to meet, like the idea of building sounds fantastic, but then you realize that you're sort of beholden to that system forever And if you built it, you have to also maintain it. You have to do all of these things with it. And I think more and more folks, because they are so underwater, are understanding that that may not be the place to go. So, you know, one of the things that we're seeing from this survey of how people plan to increase that bandwidth is automation technology, which I think really will help folks scale what they're able to do and sharpen the tools that they already have instead of have to, or sharp, you know, and and by sharpen the tools, I mean, sharpen the folks that they already have instead of feeling like they have to try and spend time burning cycles, building something that may or may not get them out from underwater. We're at that point in the industry where uh, we're we're seeing a pretty significant embrace of Mm -hmm automation as the the pattern has been playing out for, for a sufficient number of years now where mm-hmm. we can't just throw bodies and effort at it. And it's, you know, especially with, you know, might be a little top of mind right now, but with everybody starting to come out for fresh air and realize that the sun is shining and maybe they don't want to be in front of their computer you know, 18 hours a day, all of a sudden people are looking for, for ways to offload as much of that work burden as possible. Um, mm-hmm. So they can enjoy the rest of the, the, the world and maybe find some work-life balance at the same time uh, by automating away a lot more of that monotony uh, that they're having to deal with on a daily basis. So as you're out there, kind of stepping away from the data for a second, but as you're out there chatting with our customers and our prospects and other people mm-hmm. who are in the industry, what are some of the other ways that you're seeing people help with this problem? Like automation is clearly one of the ways Obviously, there's the idea of hiring more staff, but are there other things, whether it's tools or skill sets or whatever it might be that you're seeing people, you know, bring on board to help, you know, scale more? Yeah, it's a really good question. We, we certainly see some pretty big surges in people 
adding on more, more tools uh, and, and more platforms to build on top of. We additionally see people uh, drafting and recruiting from other uh, teams and adjacent spaces. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot more people coming into the data engineering landscape from software engineering, from mm -hmm. uh, machine learning engineering and data science and data analytics. Uh, and, and we see a lot more people coming in from these adjacent domains. I, I will tell you the one thing that it, it's really been quite surprising. The one thing we see so much less of today than we saw even just a year and certainly two years ago, we see far less of the, we are going to build a platform on our own. And we see this, and it's interesting, you know, part of our job here is to, to watch these market trends. Mm -hmm. um, very similar to, you know, how we saw uh, in these early days, people were really big on, I'm going to run my own Kafka cluster, my own Spark cluster, my own Hadoop cluster. And then you see that, you know, that wane and people running on the cloud equivalents or on top of the big players mm -hmm. like, uh, like Databricks, for example, right? We see and similar shifts even around the engineering tool stack and, and capabilities you build. And a year or two ago, there was a lot more of this. Well, it's early. We're still figuring out what these tools do and frankly, what they mean for us and the team. And, and I think the folks now are, are so keen to just rise above that muck, right? The, mm -hmm. the, they were really cool, exciting new technologies um, to employ. And then you realize to get all that potential captured that you can go do incredible things with these, you need to free yourself from all the monotony of actually running on those, those uh, and dealing with all the underlying layers. And so now we're seeing that shift happen a lot where people are saying, hey, look, you know, we're, we're trying to hire more people, we're investing more automation, and then actually for the people who were also recruiting in, they were really uninterested in getting deep in the weeds of how do we run these tools and how do we deal with you know, data engineering systems and platform. They just wanna go build a, you know, a pipeline to go yeah. create something so they can get onto the rest of the stuff, right? Yeah. And so I think we're seeing it, it, this really pronounced shift over the last year that's pretty interesting. And that makes sense. It's one of those things where and we've talked about it on this podcast before. People just innately don't want to deal with the not fun stuff. <laughs> they want to get to the fun stuff. And a lot of times that fun stuff is, is the actual building of the pipelines. It is the transformation. It is the getting their hands dirty with the data. Um, I feel like it was maybe when Jesse Anderson was on the podcast, one of the things that he said was, and forgive me if that's not who it was, but one of the things that was said was, folks who get into the data engineering realm, whether it's software engineers that sort of move over into a data engineering role, or whether it's people who are data analysts or data scientists or any of those, they do it because they want to get their hands dirty with data. They don't want to be dealing with the plumbing, for lack of a better term. So I think to your point, a lot of what we're seeing in some of these numbers ties back really nicely to that. One of the things that ties really back really nicely to that also, which is another number that I was super interested to see as we put the question out into the field, which is how many pipelines in their order, or how, what is the number of data pipelines that they expect for their organization to have by the end of the year and a percentage increase, uh, you know, whether it's nine or 25% or 50 or even up to a hundred. I know you've looked at the data, but I find it hard to believe that you've memorized all the data. So do you want to take a guess of how many people said that they would have their pipelines increase by more than 50%? Uh, so, uh, actually, I remember looking at the data, but I don't have this stat memorized. Uh, so this is, is fun. I would guess 
probably about half of people think that their, their data pipelines are gonna increase by 50% or more. How many people do you think expect an increase of 100% or more? Um, given that I know most data teams aren't growing that fast, I'd be surprised <laughs> if it's over 20%. And that would okay. seem probably high, I think. All right. You're doing really good. So 56% they're about for the 50% and about 11% for the okay. increasing over 100%, which is still a pretty strong number for over 100%. The interesting part of that 11% is that data scientists far and away anticipated a larger increase. So 25.7% of our data scientists respondents anticipated an increase of more than 100%. It, it's just interesting to see where people sort of, you know, how that breaks down and people feel like the data pipelines will increase across the board. Well, and this reminds me a, a lot of some of the stuff we even saw last year. Right? And, and this is why it's fun to, to do this multiple years in a row is because we can start to, to compare and contrast and, and correlate uh, the, the learnings here. And one of the things that we saw a lot of last year was from the data science uh, community being very blocked and, and bottlenecked on upstream systems, right? On data access and data, uh, the ability to actually create data pipelines to feed them the appropriate data. Uh, yeah. And I think this is a really strong signal of this move more towards self-serve that we've seen across a lot of, uh, of industries and, and that we're certainly seeing here, which is more data scientists are, are grabbing the ball and saying, look, we, we know the data engineering team is slammed. We know the data platform team is slammed. Yeah, We'll go and, and do some of this on our own uh, mm -hmm. and we'll self-serve and create some more of our data pipelines. Uh, yeah. And I think we're seeing that uh, in action uh, play out yeah. in these statistics. Yeah, I think so as well. The one that really makes me laugh in this is of the 406 data team professionals that we surveyed, one anticipated a decrease in the number of data pipelines, <laughs> a single one. So if you're keeping track of the percentages, that's 0.2%, but only one. And I, one person said that, and then you had about 6.4 who said they don't anticipate any change. So you're less than 7% of people who either don't anticipate a change or anticipate it to go down. Thinking of that, you have 96% of your data teams who feel like they're already overburdened. And then you have 93% of your data team members who anticipate growth of what you need and growth of what you're doing. To your point, it doesn't necessarily make things look like it's going to be super smooth sailing for the next couple of years. But at the same time, there's, mm -hmm. there's definitely ways people are figuring out how to go around it. Better start hiring and better start automating. Right. For real. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's just, it's really interesting. And I think this is not something, again, I, I really looking at these numbers, there's very few, I don't want to say didn't very few things that surprised me, things surprised me, but it all seems very reasonable based on anecdotal evidence of what we've sort of been hearing. This is people are, you know, data teams are growing like crazy and amount of data is growing like crazy and people are wanting to operationalize it more and they got to figure out how to do it. So, well, and this is one that, you know, one of the, the stats that we saw too, that um, I think becomes particularly relevant as we talk through this, which is when, you know, one of the things we always ask is, um, who is the most bottleneck team or who, you know, what's the most sort of like, what are you most bottlenecked on, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which is this really cool um, test of like, who 
who's most overworked from your vantage point, right? And what we find is there's a, a fair distribution across teams from, from different, different roles, but teams are, two, every team identifies today that their team is the most bottlenecked and two to three times as, as high of voting for themselves being the bottleneck versus the other teams. Mm-hmm. And I think the, I mean, I guess in, in some ways, when we think about this, I guess it's fairly distributed then in the sense of like, you know, one team's not just getting crushed. Uh, everybody's getting crushed and everybody's, yeah. I think, sharing in that, that load. Um, but I think it becomes really interesting when we think about, the, you know, these teams and everybody's trying to hire, everybody's trying to build more stuff. But it also becomes really important when we think about how these teams are collaborating with each other too, right? Uh, and when you think about this from a, an organizational dynamic perspective, how do you make sure that you're breaking down those, those communication barriers and silos and teams are, are understanding what the other teams are building and working with and how they can help with their skill sets and help potentially offload and alleviate uh, those challenges? Because and this is what we're finding kind of across the board is everybody is, is working pretty hard uh, and, and, pr- and pretty stretched. Yeah, it's interesting. One can initially look at that kind of stat and that array of stats and say, oh, well, of course, everybody always thinks they're the most busy. But in reality, when, to your point, when you dig in a little bit further, it's not like data scientists are going, I'm twiddling my thumbs. You know, they still have a ton of work to do. Data engineers have a ton of work to do they all just are, it's this kind of like weird interconnection of being bottlenecked on different things to each other. And so to your point, being able to raise your hand and say, can I just take this on so I can work on it myself? And maybe that'll unblock me and it'll unblock you and we can unblock, you know, different people in different ways is the wonderful idea behind some of the self-service stuff that's really, I think, come to prominence as well. It's just like put the data in the hands of the people who need it and let them work with it and make it easy enough for them to work with so that they don't feel like they're blocked. They also don't feel like they're being a bottleneck and you can get on with the rest of your day. Yeah, well, and I think this is, it even relates to some of the other stuff that we saw in the stats. Gosh, we were, we were talking to, to writing responses to some reporters' questions uh, earlier on this week and we were talking about the, the notion of flex code. And, and it reminds me of this whole notion of, you know, why we think flex code is so important is Classically, these these roles and these functions, and you know, engineering, science, analytics, etc., all play in very different siloed parts of the technology stack, and and as a result, can't step into self service in each other's domains. Right? It, they're right. working in different languages, on different tools, on top of different processing layers, and so it becomes really hard for people to actually do that. And I think the you know when we we pulled some of these stats, and we you know we even queried across different uh, teams on, on their preferred language. It's all over the board, right? There, yeah. There's some there's some central patterns here, yeah. but what we're finding that becomes pretty interesting is to get this proper self serve, to get this this actual interaction between the teams, things like these flex code models, right? Not not just a no code or a low code or a high code model, but this ability to flex uh, yeah. up and down that stack at different layers, but use these modules, if you will, interchangeably. Um, become so important to this very fundamental problem of how do we get teams with these varied skill sets and and focus areas to still rapidly iterate and collaborate together. Yeah, it is interesting because I feel like, you know, over the last couple of years, the whole idea of no code or low code has, has really, I mean, I guess not just over the last few years, but low code, no code has really risen to prominence, but there is kind of that 
there's always that swing back a little bit to the middle of people still want to be able to dig in and do customization. They still want to dig in and be able to do things that you can't do in those type of systems. And so therefore you have to have that ability to, to your point, flex between high code and low code to really make it usable for the vast majority of people out there. If it's super high code, you're not going to get some folks using it. And if it's super low code, you're not going to get other folks using it. You have to have that in between to really make it usable and workable and, and dare I say, production ready for most people. Yeah, I totally agree. In, in some ways, it feels like as an industry, we're, we're doing the Goldilocks moment, right? Of, yeah, you know, <laughs> that's a great Too much to code, go. not enough code. How do we get to that's that right spot? And, and I think it is the, you know, it, it's, I was on a customer call just before this and we were talking through the, what, what are really these core drivers? And it's funny because of the, you find this with most big shifts towards automation, right? You get some really early adopters in, in on the, the automation trend and, and you can pick it any field, any industry, consumer enterprise, doesn't really matter. You usually find that uh, that early surge in, in excitement around automation, you get some early adopters, but you also get a lot of resistance because what it usually plays out to be is 95, you know, you make 95% of the, the job way easier, mm-hmm. but that last 5%, you may make impossible, right? right? And, and that's the thing that just renders you know, automated technologies pretty difficult yeah. To, to get mass mainstream appeal. And, you know, when I was talking to this customer earlier today, you, I, I mentioned that sort of notion and they're like, yes, that's, that's right. Like we've been watching all these incredible things for, for years start to emerge and they're great until we have something custom for our business, like right. custom logic or a custom tool or system we have to integrate and then everything falls apart. Yeah. And I think that's the, in the, this sort of Goldilocks theme, right? That becomes this sort of key element of these flex code models is, mm-hmm. How do you make it so that the vast majority of things are dramatically easier, but you still got to make the last bit possible, right? Like I still need to go do some crazy thing in in Java because I just happened to have access to a particular library that I really need for this. Actually, we had a customer who um, they really needed to run a part of their data pipeline literally in JavaScript. And, you know, it was very interesting for us because we're like, well, you know, you can do out of the box, we'll give you SQL, Python, Scala, Java. And they're like, I need JavaScript. Like, well, we're pretty sure we can help you find a way to do it. But that's the important part is we had to make it possible for them. Yeah. Right. Uh, And I think that's the, once you do that, that is where you can hit mainstream adoption of really powerful new automated systems and technologies because you, you no longer encumbered people and made something impossible for them. To back up what you're saying there too, in the survey we asked about, to your point, we asked about people's preferred programming languages and 4.2, so we'll call it 4% of respondents cited that no code UI is their preferred programming language. Basically how they prefer to use something, 4, 4% said no code. However, when you throw in the ability to actually use your preferred programming language as an option in a low or no code tool. 73% of respondents said that they would be more likely to use it. That is a huge, huge, huge swing, but it totally makes sense in the context of where we're at 
as an industry for not only data engineering, but just data in general right now? Yeah, it's crazy. I was trying to do the quick math. I'm like, wait, I think that's 18 times more likely. Yeah. Um, it's like, I do my math right? Really hope I did my math right. Yes, I did my math right. <laughs> 18 times more likely to actually use it if they're not just pinned down to right. just a GUI or just that interface, which maybe be the world's most glorious GUI and big data interface in the world, except for that last 5%. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, it's interesting because you have to, to that point, and then, and then we'll move on. But to your point, and in my mind, a really great automation tool when it comes to data for self-service is giving somebody like, me, the marketing person who knows just enough SQL to be dangerous and can actually Google stuff on Stack Overflow, the ability to maybe do some stuff, but then also give you, who's clearly incredibly talented and very technical and can do so much more in different programming languages than I could do, also the ability to start building pipelines and start working with the data products. Like that is, you know, even taking away the fact that you're, you know, you say you weren't CEO, Sean, taking away that fact and you were just like technical, Sean. That is the beauty of what this would be. And I think to your point, that's why folks are 18 times more likely to have a tool like that is because you open up the breadth of who can actually start working on this so extensively that all of a sudden your data team may not be six people, it may be 60 people because you put the power of the data in the hands of the people who need it. Oh, I, I so wholeheartedly agree. Like even for, um, you know, we'll call it CTO, Sean, really. That, Here we go. Know, as okay. I was playing on the, the platform uh, just la uh, last week, I mean, literally I was, I was creating some new data pipelines in, in one of our internal systems and it's so much fun. Like I, I mean, literally, in a matter of just an hour, can bounce into a no-code interface to navigate a bunch of our, our uh, S3 and GCS buckets, import that stuff, mm -hmm. use our no-code connector to literally import some uh, Google spreadsheets and sync those up from the finance team, created a mm -hmm. whole pipeline, was bouncing back and forth between PySpark transforms and SQL with a bunch of like our fancy new CTE, uh, common table expression and, and subquery support, and was doing all that. And then literally could drop down to the SDK uh, and was then programmatically creating some more components on the SDK. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is great. I can write PySpark, I can do SQL, I can use no code, I can tap into the SDK, um, yeah. whatever the best tool is for the job. But I think that's how a lot of builders work today, whether you're an analytics analyst, uh, scientist, engineer, like we're just building things and we just want to use the most efficient tool for the job. It's interesting to that point, and we'll, we'll pop up to another one of the stats that I know you, you appreciate and you like, because we've talked about it a little bit. This is kind of the problem we have to solve because the problem we had to solve, well, the problem we had to solve two problems ago was how do you get access to your data? How do you actually get data? How do you collect data? How do you get access to it? And that's not like necessarily access to your systems. It's more like, how do you actually collect the data and know what you have? And that to some degree has been solved. Then it was, how do you scale your infrastructure? How do you scale your systems to keep pace with the amount of data that you were bringing in? And what we found in, in this year's survey is that only 21% thereabouts of people who responded said that their infrastructure couldn't keep up with the volume of data. So that's 
what, close to 80, that's 79% of people who are like, yep, we, we got the scale problem solved, which is pretty remarkable and it's pretty awesome, but it leads to, again, now how do we get everything operationalized? Yeah, and I think this is the, um, such a cool stat. And I'm so, I so wish we asked this question last year and had like <laughs> five years of historical data because we know definitively it would be very different and that this mm -hmm. is coming down quite significantly no matter how much people are talking about uh, the scaling volumes of data and number of pipelines you have to go build, we have seen tremendous advances in that infrastructure layer to process, store, et cetera, uh, data. And as a result, this is becoming, in short, no longer the problem that people have to worry about solving. There's yep. great technology and, and platforms out there that solve this for you. And so now we're entering in the, not the, the, the scale challenge of uh, bits and bytes and storage and processing or a speed of movement and so on. We're now entering a really interesting different scale, which is how do we scale our efficiency and our efficacy? Like going all the way back up to this 96% or adder over capacity, yeah. that is the, the scale problem to solve yeah. for now is how do we help make people more productive so yeah. they can go create more things faster? Uh, and, and I think this is one of the reasons why we're seeing such this significant shift now is that problem has been largely been solved. And you know, I predict next year it'll be 10%, if that, right? And there'll always be a few folks who are way out on the on the curve. And it's probably like, you know, the, the surveys where um, right, are you a good driver? Right. And and <laughs> how many what percent yes. of people, yeah, exactly. Like what percent of people are, are are good? Do you think other people are good drivers? And at what percent, you know? Say they're, they're I themselves think two percent of other people are good drivers. I think I'm the most amazing driver. <laughs> I did self-admit this weekend driving around. I'm like, wow, I am really rusty at this. I am so not paying attention. And my wife's <laughs> like, I didn't want to say anything, but yeah, <laughs> like, yeah I, I'm, I'm really not doing a good job at this thing, this driving <laughs> thing. It's, I'm, I'm, I've had to do it for a while, but I'm definitely not doing well at it at the moment. That's, that's true. Everybody has to get back into practice. Yep. Yeah. Anyways, the, the this is the, the cool part with the um, with that that twenty percent is it will continue to drop, and yep. it is so telling now. And, and I think this is why we see a lot of this this focus now, where people are, are are focused on their own productivity, right? They just help me go build more things faster. Well, to wrap up. What else from the survey did you either find, you know, we've talked a little bit about what I found surprising or what I found interesting, but, you know, what from you, is there anything that you saw when you were looking at these results and like, oh, dang, that's real interesting. I will say I was surprised by what we see year over year, that pullback yeah. from uh, low and no code. Mm -hmm. um, I think it got a lot of excitement last year. I think a lot of people jumped onto no code solutions, which is great. And I, think, I bet they created a bunch of value uh, yeah. for, the, for their, their teams, their, their companies, et cetera. So I think there's a lot of probably wins associated with that. And I think part of the pullback from that is we're finding that people are just hitting the limits of what they can do without some of those extensions and, and more of a flex code model for low and no code. And so that was one of the really interesting ones to me that when we start to use this and extrapolate out into what next year looks like. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we'll, we'll continue to see that focus of, I really want low and no code for some things, but I, I, I just need to use my language of, of, of choice and hook them into my tools of choice uh, for a handful of these particular use cases. So 
Well, if you guys at home are interested in seeing more of the data or any more around this year's Data Engineering Evolved survey results, uh, you can always see these at ascend.io, where we also have last year's survey results archived as well. So you can take a look yourself for the changes that have happened. We loved doing this last year, had a lot of fun kind of going through the data for this this year because things are super interesting and in how quickly they are, if I can say, evolving. Um, and we're excited to continue doing this in the future. And, and if there's anything that you guys would suggest that we maybe add to the survey or you'd love to hear a little bit more about, like, please reach out. We'd love to hear that. So thanks, Sean. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me join again. This is lots of fun. So if you're part of that 96% that is overtasked, overburdened, just as I said earlier, doesn't have enough time in the day, never fear, you're not alone. And there are definitely other folks out there who are trying to solve the same problems that you are. If you're interested in taking a look at the data for yourself or more information about the survey, come on over to ascend.io where we will have a infographic, a press release, and more information about the survey overall. And as always, if you have any questions for us, please feel free to reach out over Twitter, via LinkedIn, or you can always reach us at our email address, data-eng at ascend.io. Welcome to a new era of data engineering.